Hi, listener. We are taking a newscast break this week to attend the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Conference in Colorado. It's a neat coalition of community radio stations that partner together to share local coverage across our region. Although we are away, we still manage to connect with our media partners. So we have a newsreel today where we check in with them about their latest stories. But first, what happened at the what happened at the meeting? What happened at the meeting? Whatever happened at the meeting? What exactly happened at the meeting? Maggie McGuire, editor of the Moab Sun News, answers. At this week's Moab City Council meeting, council members heard data collected from this summer's record-setting floods. City staff reported hauling over 800 tons of debris from waterways around town, clocking in over 1,300 hours, with hundreds of hours of work still needed, according to Public Works Director Levi Jones. City engineer Chuck Williams noted that Moab was built over numerous creek drainages, which can damage infrastructure like roads, utilities, and parks when they flood. Williams discussed possible ways to stabilize or redesign drainage systems to reduce damage from flood events in the future, but these options are dependent on finding funding. Also at the meeting, council members were presented with a new public dashboard to track progress on the city's strategic plan. City Finance Director Ben Billingsley introduced the online portal that displays information and status reports on 51 projects tied to objectives defined in the strategic plan. And that's what happened at the meeting. This exercise in civics is a collaboration between KZMU News and the Moab Sun News. Find recaps of local government meetings at moabsunnews.com. You can also watch these meetings on YouTube. Find Moab City and Grand County, Utah there. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. Election Day was held this week, bringing change to many communities across the country, including Moab. Sophia Fisher with the Times Independent runs down the local results and their coverage. So our biggest news this week, you know, rather expectedly, is uh, the election. We've had local, state and federal elections. And, you know, very excitingly, there are, you know, there are still a few local races that are yet to be finally determined, but a couple are pretty set in stone. So Grand County is going to have a new sheriff in the new year. Uh, Jameson Wiggins won that race. Uh, the county will also have a new attorney, Stephen Stocks, uh, prevailed there, and at least two new Grand County commissioners, um, one of whom has decided Mike McCurdy will be representing District 5. So congratulations to those three candidates on their wins. So, you know, the other races, the District 4 race, which is Mary McGann and Laurie McFarland. Tell us about that one. Yeah, so currently McGann is likely to win. She is in the lead on that one. Um, But notably, the Grand County Clerk Auditor's Office still has 170 votes to go through. 168 of those are provisional ballots. So people still need to bring in additional documentation before they can be counted. And then two ballots require signature verification, something with a signature. Um, In addition, there could be a few ballots that, you know, come in that were mail-in and that were postmarked on November 7th, but that, you know, didn't come in by the 8th because they were, you know, mailed out of state as an absentee ballot or whatnot. Um, So, yeah, McGann is likely to succeed over McFarland in that race, but we haven't called it yet. It could still change, technically. So the preliminary election results do show that McGann is the winner, but, you know, because there are... Um, still ballots yet to be counted. Um, that is a question mark since that race was so darn tight. Remind me how many uh, votes there were between them. I think McGann had 500 and McFarland had 455. So just about a thousand votes total uh, in that district. 
And yeah, the, the margin was 52 to 48, which is actually the same margin between Bill Winfield, who's currently in the lead, and Emily Campbell for the, the final commission seat, the at-large seat, which is also still somewhat up in the air. I mean, they're still within the margin that things could change depending on these provisional ballots. Any other election news that you wanted to cover, Sophia? Yeah, we have uh, plenty. I mean, uh, Charlie Harrison is going to retain his seat on the Moab Valley Fire District Commission, uh, beating uh, challenger Sam Van Wetter. Um, there, there are a few other races that we reported on with state and federal races, incumbents held on, I think, in, in every case that I can think of. So Senator Mike Lee will retain his position, as will U.S. Representative John Curtis um, and Utah State House uh, Representative Phil Lyman. So they've all succeeded in their respective contests. Um, and we also have a brief on developing results in San Juan County, which are still underway, all sorts of election coverage in this week's edition. Now, for the races that do have a clear winner, um, did you reach out to any of those candidates? Yes, uh, we have statements, I think, from all three, from Wiggins, Stocks, and McCurdy. I mean, they all said they were they were very excited. Um, Stock said he felt very fortunate to have voters' support here, and everybody seems really excited to uh, take on the responsibility in the new year. Where do you want to take us next, Sophia? The audit, as listeners may know, the state legislature announced that they have ordered a legislative audit of Grand and San Juan counties. I reached out to Speaker of the House Brad Wilson, and he said, quote, it's been brought to our attention that some concerning activities have been taking place in San Juan and Grand counties. Um, He didn't go into too much more detail about the motivation behind the audit, but he did mention things like special interests and making sure elected officials are using taxpayer money wisely. So still some some unanswered questions, I would say, in, in the order for the audit. Okay, so this is the audit that's coming from the Legislative Auditor General, and not too many more details, but like you said, you were able to talk to House Speaker Brad Wilson. Yeah, uh, yeah I spoke with Brad Wilson. I spoke with uh, House Communications Official Alexa Musselman, and I also spoke with actually the Utah um, Auditor General Cade Minchie, who was, who was very nice to talk to. All right. And they um, weren't able to offer that much. How public will this review be or become? Yeah, well, the results, so uh, Auditor uh, General Minchie said, results of these audits are always public. Uh, it's expected to take six to eight months, according to Musselman. Uh, it will always be public. There are always recommendations made at the end of an audit. And Minchie said, in this case, the recommendation or recommendations would likely be made to the counties themselves, so Grand and San Juan. Um, a few more details. The audit could remain a single audit. It could be split up into an audit for each county. It just depends on how much information they uncover, Minchie said. Um, and he said, you know, the he doesn't know too much about the impetus behind the audit either, and he said it's not super relevant to the way his office conducts audits, but he did say that they audit counties quite frequently. This, you know, at, at this point, it seems to be a pretty regular type, a type of thing to him. And another actually interesting point, I, I reached out to leadership of the Grand County Commission, so Chair Jacques Hedler um, and Vice Chair Mary McGann, and they said, you know, of course, they're, they're going to cooperate fully with the audit, but they can't think of any improprieties in Grand County that would have motivated this. And they suggested they, they can't see a legitimate reason for it other than political motivation. So an, an interesting statement there from the county commission leadership. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't seem, you know, because we don't know, like, the parameters of the audit, it's kind of almost hard to talk about because we don't know what they're going to be reviewing exactly. Exactly. Minchie, all that Minchie knows is 
um, that it has to do with compliance issues. That's the information he says he has right now. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how it develops, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the, the results. Okay, so more information on that legislative audit in the Times Independent this week. Where do you want to take us next, Sophia? Um, I just want to give a shout out to a couple different ones because we have, I know I say this every week, but we actually have a lot of stories in this week's edition. <laughs> um, we have several stories on uh, local nonprofits and businesses and, and people who are honored by the Chamber of Commerce, given awards there. Um, the old Super 8 uh, overnight accommodations getting turned into this kind of swanky new kind of like um, van life oriented hotels. Like that's a really interesting story from Ashley Bunton. Um, Grand County Deputy Attorney received an award for her trauma-informed prosecution. All sorts of other stories in this week's edition. A new exhibit coming to the Moab Museum, et cetera. So I would definitely encourage folks to check it out because we, we barely, barely plumbed the depths of this one. Sophia Fisher, reporter with the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. Moab City will fight a $50 million lawsuit filed against the police department. The suit involves an August police call related to domestic violence that ended up making national headlines. Allison Harford at the Moab Sun News has more from their coverage. Last week, Gabby Petito's parents filed a lawsuit against the Moab City Police Department, claiming that the department was negligent in hiring and training officers and that individual officers were negligent in their handling of a domestic violence call involving Petito and her fiancé and traveling companion, Brian Laundrie, in August 2021. Weeks after this incident in Moab, Laundrie murdered Petito outside of Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming, and then he took his own life and admitted to killing Petito in a suicide note. So the family is suing for $50 million, and a statement from Moab City says that it will ardently defend against this lawsuit. So Moab City is going to defend against it. You did mention that it takes issue with Moab City police officers and saying that they were negligent in the way that they responded. Um, Anything else to say there? Yeah, so... Petito's parents, uh, Joseph Petito and Nicole Schmitz, think that proper handling of this case would have saved their daughter's life. So the lawsuit says in its introduction that Gabby didn't have to die, and it claims that she would still be alive if the police department had not hired, retained, and or failed to train officers who were fundamentally unfit and safe to employ in the capacity of police officer. So it seeks $50 million in damages, and it also calls for a reckoning about how the police enforce the state's domestic abuse laws. And the suit explicitly names the Moab Police Department, then Police Chief Brett Edge, then Assistant Chief Braden Palmer, and the responding officers Eric Pratt and Daniel Robbins as defendants. So the suit also refers to, it talks a lot about Eric Pratt, and it refers to Pratt's previous employment as a police chief in Salina, Utah. Um And the suit alleges that while in that role, Pratt, quote, carried on several extramarital affairs, improperly used his position to use government buildings for sex, and used his position as a police chief to improperly manipulate the witness and to sexually harass her. So in the November 3rd article um, in the Salt Lake Tribune, the reporter wrote that Tribune journalists have spoken with witness that was named in that suit, as well as acquaintances who have supported her account. 
So the suit also quotes from an interview Pratt gave in a podcast where he says he looks for loopholes in his police work to avoid implementing fines or punishments he considers too burdensome. So the lawsuit points to all these instances as reasons that Pratt should never have been hired by the Moab City Police Department, and he still is hired by them. He works as the department's school resource officer in the elementary, middle, and high schools. The Moab City Police Department has faced public scrutiny and criticism over several other incidents and issues over the past year, aside from its handling of this call. Local judge publicly admonished the department for frequent irregularities in officers' use of body cameras. Uh, An investigation into officer conduct in an alleged child abuse case found policy violations and a number of other things. And former police chief Edge stepped down amid all this turmoil. In the spring, the city hired Jared Garcia as its new police chief, and he's been working to prioritize increasing staffing and training at the department, as well as upgrading equipment. And he says he hopes to establish more competitive salaries for MOAB officers to help attract and retain quality officers. And so in a statement, the city said it feels profound sympathy for Petito's family and the tragedy of her death. But at the same time, it says it's clear that the Moab City Police Department officers are not responsible for her eventual murder. And it sounds like it'll be up to a court to decide whether or not in this specific instance, the officers were indeed negligent or not. Is there anything pertinent to say about it that we missed? Just that the city communications manager, Lisa Church, said that the city will not comment further at this time. So they're just sticking to their statement. All right. Sticking with their statement, probably as advised by their lawyers. Moving on from the lawsuit, the big lawsuit, there is more in the Moab Sun News. Where do you want to take us next? Next, Back of Beyond has been working on this project to bring an iconic book, Stone Desert, written by Craig Childs, back to life. Now, when you first told me this before we started recording, I was imagining that there was like this one book <laughs> that mm-hmm. they were trying to physically restore, but now I'm I'm guessing that's not the case. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, it'll be a republishing. So the book was originally published in 1995, but it went out of print soon after. And I talked to former Back of Beyond Books owner Andy Nettle. He said that when he first read this book, it was really the first piece of Canyonland-specific literature that he had come across. And he thought it was a really good book. Um, and it really bothered him that this one book about Canyonlands wasn't available. And so uh, Nettle has known Craig Childs for a really long time. They've been long friends. And they both said that every time they would meet up, they would talk about Stone Desert. And so Andy Nettle, as his career grew uh, as a bookstore owner, he started getting to know some of the local publishing houses. And so he floated this idea of republishing um, Stone Desert to Tory House Press, which is a nonprofit book publisher in Salt Lake City. And they were into the idea, but nothing really happened with it. And then one night in 2020, Andy and Craig were sharing a glass of whiskey together in Craig's house. And Andy brought up this idea that he had loaded to Tory House Press. And Craig brought out the original journal that the book is based on. So in 1994, uh, Craig Childs was working as a guide in Moab. And during the off season in the winter, he just went out into Canyonlands just to wander and take observations and write down all of his thoughts. And so he used that journal to write what would become Stone Desert. So he shows Andy this journal and Andy's amazed by it. It's just a raw work and In some cases, Craig had taken whole paragraphs from the journal and put them into the book. And so uh, 
he and Craig came up with the idea to republish the book with the original journal as like photocopies inside of it. So now the book is going to be published. The dream became a reality. Um, and the copies of the journal are in the back. And so it really provides a way for people to look at both how like desert wandering thoughts can turn into a book and also the difference in how we think about the desert from 1995 to 2022. Oh, interesting. Tell us about that. What's yeah. the difference there that you found when talking to the these two? So I talked to Craig a lot about how vulnerable it feels to share what is essentially a diary with the world. And he said he really thought of it as thoughts of this overly enthusiastic kid in the wilderness. He was really young when he wrote this book. And so now he's like learned a lot about cultural sites since then and learned a lot about how to be in the desert. And there's also all this new conservation thinking around the desert. Like we use wag bags now for poop stuff like that. And so he talked to me a lot about how this shows us this window into the past, but also at the same time, this shows us how slow the landscape moves. You know, reading it now, you get this window into how we thought of the desert in the 90s, but also the landscape is exactly the same because nothing's going to change in this mega giant landscape in 30 years. Right. In a, in a human lifetime or a third of a human's life. Yeah, exactly. There will be an event. Um, they're celebrating the release with Craig Childs at a free event on Tuesday, November 15th at 6.30 p.m. at Star Hall. He'll be discussing the book um, and people will get a chance to chat with him. And there's one more piece I know you want to mention that's uh, in the Moab Sun News that takes us to the high mm -hmm. school. Yeah, so Grand County High School is holding its annual um, musical on November 17th to the 19th. And this year, the musical is The Addams Family. The Addams Family. Okay, so I had no idea this was a musical. Who did you talk to and what's going to be the vibe? Yeah, so the musical is relatively recent. I talked to Marley Francis, who's the head of the drama department at the high school. And she said she saw The Addams Family performed live at the Hale Theater in Sandy, where she was first introduced to the show. And so we all know The Addams Family as this bizarre family who are really into like death and monsters and ghouls. There's these really eccentric characters. And so the musical follows the Adams family when everyone's a little bit more grown up. And Wednesday Adams has managed to fall in love and get engaged. And so she asks her dad to keep it a secret that she's engaged. And so Gomez has to struggle with keeping the secret from Morticia. And also Wednesday has to struggle with trying to run away and become a part of this relatively normal family with her fiance. And so the musical kind of follows that plot and culminates in this dinner that the Adams family has with this very normal family. So Frances said, it's really fun. The overall theme is just family. And she said, everybody has their own unique family situation. So she loves that she gets to do a musical about family and also about tolerance, um, because the show represents a lot of different families and different groups who ultimately do get along. It sounds like a lot of fun. When are the performances? Yeah, so it kicks off on Thursday, November 17th, and then there'll be another performance on the 18th and 19th. And Frances said that this year's cast is really fun. She loves how they work together really well, and they're all really passionate about it. She also said there's a really good group of seniors who kind of got all of their friends to do it. So there are a lot of students involved with this, and then there are also a lot of volunteer costumers and um, set designers, and so... 
She said she's also really excited about this year's set and she thinks it's going to blow everyone away. Allison Hartford, reporter with the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. And that's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the pieces that were mentioned today in the show notes at our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.